and welcome. I'm Will. And I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today we're covering Jovian Moon. Yes, which we will get to shortly. In the interim, how are you doing, Alicia? Excellent, as always. That's good. I like that positive attitude. Um, I, I'm also doing well. Thank, I didn't ask. Thank but... you for asking. <laughs> God, I can't can't even do this podcast with you anymore. I meant, how are you doing, Will? It's too late. Damage is done. Well, anyway, after that frosty start, uh, let's dive into today's uh, topic. Except first, we need a call to action. Yeah, we need to do that first up top, otherwise the people won't know what to do. Uh, If you are listening, you are the resistance. No, if you are listening, go ahead and follow the show. Leave us a review, good, bad, or ugly. We don't care. We just love to hear from you. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please, please, please share them with us. You can find us on etrhthepod at gmail.com or at etrhthepod on social media. I'm so glad we chose that handle when we were setting everything up because it just rolls off the tongue so easily every time. I mean, do you have a better one right now? No, no, I don't. Enter the rabbit? Don't. That's a whole different... (laughs) That's the kind of thing that PETA would be on us immediately for. That's why I went for ETRH. Yeah, don't enter any rabbits, kids. Don't do that. Maybe we should have just gone with rabbit hole. Mm. (laughs) Nope. Let's stick with ETRH the pod. Yeah, I mean, when you say it a few times, it does roll off the tongue. It's absolutely fine. So, Jovian moons, Alicia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moons. Mm Mm-hmm. Jove by Jove? Is that is that what it is? It's not it's not E by Gum. No. Uh, no, it is in fact pertaining to Jupiter. Yeah. Or other gaseous giants. I know it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is interesting stuff though. Don't don't click away. If you don't think it's fascinating, this might not be the episode for you. If you're intrigued, listen on, dear listener. Even if it's not the episode for you. Please still listen on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we are so comfortable in our, our listener numbers at this stage that we're just begging people not to switch off. <laughs> Don't leave. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about Jupiter and some of the stuff that is spinning around Jupiter, and it's going to be hella, hella factious. I, I, I think this might be our highest FPS of any episode we've done thus far fps obviously being fact per second facts per second yeah yeah you got it would it be fact per second or fpm fact per minute i don't know likely it might it might even cycle back to fps again and be facts per segment Ooh, Ooh, interesting yes we will also be talking about some possibilities for terraforming so it's not all you know fpm fps yes there'll be some SPS speculation per segment. Mm, Mm. Yes, all the lingo. Yes. And with that, let's dive right in. So, Jupiter. First thing you need to know about Jupiter is it's really big. (gasps) No, sacre bleu. Indeed. It is 11 times the size of Earth and it's 317 times its mass. I thought it was like 11, 11 Earths could fit across its diameter. Yeah, we're getting to that. 
Okay. So, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you read the outline before we sat down to record. <laughs> That's great. That's going to be a real hey, time saver. Don't out me. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time this week. We just had a busy week. We are still online teaching. And that means, and you're in the middle of summer course as well. So for the, uh, for the, the people out there who aren't Asian parents sending their children to Asian schools, uh, summer holidays means... No holiday. <laughs> <laughs> summer holidays means more studying. More school time. And yes. it also means I don't get to rely on the book anymore. And mm. I have to make up everything myself. So for you, it's been a case of next week we're doing art. Mm-hmm. So think of five <laughs> art lessons. My day was after I finished teaching uh, for a couple hours with somebody coming up to me and saying, so, um, when can I have the things for n- next, well, they said next month, and I was like, you mean next week? And they're like, yeah, yeah, next week. And I was like, I don't know what we're doing next week. <laughs> I'm making this up as I'm going along, all right? <laughs> like, bro, this is really, <laughs> there's no plan here. You're like Chang from Community. You, you're teaching the subject, but you're only learning the subject a couple of lessons ahead of the kids. Yeah, that's what being a teacher is, mm-hmm. man. Like, there are teachers who teach the same thing, you know, every semester, and man, that sounds excellent. Oh, chef kiss. Yeah, mm. but if you are an ESL teacher, you are either teaching really crappy books, and it's the same book every semester, or you're constantly trying to innovate, and that means you're like, oh, let's learn about science, kids. And then you realize, actually, I don't really know that much about science because I was a communications major. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and grab that and pull it into a segue and say, let's talk about the science, kids. Back to Jupiter. It's really big. Uh, 317 times the mass of Earth. To put it another way, 1,300 Earths could fit inside of Jupiter, like clowns in a clown car. But with more, I don't know, oxygenation and life and things like that. And less seltzer and floppy It's still shoes. the same amount of clowns. Yes. <laughs> yes. When you when you break it down, when you analyze the data, there is still the same clowns, number of clowns. Clowns per Earth. <laughs> CPE. My I'm God, sorry. I've never seen these CPE numbers before. It's off the charts. Uh, it's almost twice as massive as all of the other planets combined. So if you were to take every other planet in the solar system and uh, smush them all into a big old ball, uh, it would be twice as big as that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> if you if you were like Galactus from the Marvel uh, universe, then nerd alert. I mean, these people are listening to a podcast about the moons of Jupiter. Let's not throw a nerd alert in that early and and out everyone. So, uh, however, despite being so large, it also has uh, the shortest day in our solar system, completing one full rotation in only 11 hours. It's traveling around 30,000 kilometers per hour, so fast that the area around its equator bulges outwards. They've got girdles for that. Yeah, it's just, you know... Jupiter's got a little bit of a muffin top. And that's okay. Yeah. Love your muffin top. We're not trying to planet shame here. Jupiter, as we'll find out, has had a lot of babies, all right? And it's trying to put itself back out there and get back on the dating scene. So don't you planet shame. 
Uh, yeah, so it's got a big old bulgy belly. It's composed mostly of hydrogen and helium, and has the solar system's largest ocean, which is made mostly of hydrogen. So if you were... So it's not an ocean at all. Uh, it is technically speaking an ocean in the same way that the Arctic is technically a desert. Mm-hmm. It's just a very cold desert. Sure. With fewer cameras. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it potentially also has tundra, but it does. So it has. I don't think we want to start throwing in technicalities. <laughs> if if the facts that I've been reading over the past week and a bit are to be believed, and I think they are, because many of them are from NASA, as always, sources in the footnotes of every episode. Then uh, I'm I'm gonna say it, it has a big old ocean, but it doesn't. It's not an ocean full of H2O, and therefore it doesn't act like the oceans on Earth. Uh, this is because the atmosphere on Jupiter is so highly pressurized, it has turned all the hydrogen from a gas into a liquid. Ooh! Thank you, thank you, that was the correct time for that sound effect. The liquid oceans sit at around 200 degrees Celsius, or for our American chums, 400 degrees Fahrenheit. At what temperature does hydrogen turn into... A gas. I've I've only, I've only uh, I'm not a scientist. Never claimed that. Never will. I've only got the facts in front of me. Oh, okay. So the pressure is okay. I missed it. So the pressure it's so pressurized that the gas it cannot stay a gas. It has to turn back into a liquid. Yes. I get it now. I just wasn't listening. Yes. So even if you, I, I mean, this is the reason why we're not planning a manned mission to Jupiter. Besides the fact that it is very far away. We haven't even gotten to Mars yet, so like, finish oh. the first thing on your to-do list before you go on the onto the next thing, onto I Jupiter. Mean, you couldn't even walk on it, so what's the point? No, exactly. So as soon as you entered its atmosphere, you would be almost immediately crushed mm-hmm. uh, by the immense pressure. Yes, that's every day. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your weird <laughs> call of the void moment where you? <laughs> You're, the way that you like cab yourself and get to sleep tonight at, at night is just imagining yourself falling into Jupiter's gravity well and just being like immediately crushed. Yeah, you know that scene in any kind of like existentialist movie where it's like the character kills themselves but you don't actually see them kill themselves. They just like step back into the void and like close their eyes. There's some orchestral music. They're, so- oh. They're like, oh, it's so lovely, isn't it? Even though he's definitely going to be, like, torn apart by wolves or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not going to be fun. Even though her insides are going to be turned into... Her outsides. ...crab paste, essentially. Which is weird, because she didn't even eat any crab before putting on her spacesuit. Um, yeah, that could be, like, your mental equivalent of having a weighted blanket. Mm, I could probably use a weighted blanket. Well, now you have a weighted mental blanket, just imagining the immense pressure of Jupiter's atmosphere. Stranger still, according to Maya Weyhass at National Geographic, quote, below the gassy upper layers, the pressure and temperature... I know. <laughs> it's like me about like 20 minutes after I've gone into bed. Yeah. <laughs> after having like a heavy, like a heavy chili-based dinner. Mm-hmm. Like... Bean-based... Watch out, honey, there is some gassy upper layers here. And some gassy lower layers. It's, it's just layers of gas. Yeah. I'm in a ticking time bomb. Uh, below the gassy upper layers, the pressure and temperature increase so much that atoms of hydrogen eventually compress into a liquid, 
pressures climb so high that the hydrogen loses its electrons and the soupy mess can host an electrical charge, just like metal. So imagine a big old hydrogen ocean that can also be like it's electrified. electrified. <laughs> yes. So even more reasons not to go swimming. <laughs> don't go swimming to that electric ocean. As if I needed more. Yeah. I don't like the ocean. I like the beach. I find deep water terrifying. Anyway, unrelated. Sorry. No, I yeah. So your so your your calming mental state is being crushed by the immense pressure of Jupiter's atmosphere. Before I get to the oceans. Yes, but <laughs> the minute that you think that there's like a shark somewhere down there, like whoa, I'm out. It's not the fact that there could be a shark because I know that shark attacks are rare. It's more about the unknown quantity below me. Yeah. Like, it's just darkness, and I'm a little speck, and all of a sudden I'm having an existential crisis in the middle of an ocean, and all I've got is, like, a buoy. It is that unknown quantity, definitely, and who knows when there might be a serial killer uh, wearing a wetsuit just kind of... On Jupiter. ...hanging out below you. I thought we were at the beach, but I guess we're back in Jupiter. Uh, yeah, so it's got a crazy, electrically charged ocean. According to solarsystem.nasa.gov, quote, Jupiter took shape when the rest of the solar system formed about 4.5 billion years ago, when gravity pulled swirling gas and dust in to become this gas giant. Jupiter took most of the mass left over from the formation of the Sun, ending up with more than twice the combined material of the other bodies in the solar system. In fact, Jupiter has the same ingredients as a star, but it did not grow massive enough to ignite. Okay, so it's so big. It took, it stole so much stuff from the sun that... Yeah, <laughs> Jupiter's a massive klepto. Yeah. And the sun's always like... Oh, God. Hey, man. <laughs> Where'd my left thigh go? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure... Did you... I don't think I put my wallet there, and Jupiter's like, no, man, you definitely, uh, you just forgot about it. It's like, I'm going to stop inviting Jupiter right into my house. It it's, uh, has all has all the makings of being a star, but it's it got just... It's got all the fixings. Yeah, it just never got big enough, which is yeah. just a, a dream of so many, you know, mm -hmm. young Hollywood types. Yeah, so it just spends its days day drunk and... Claiming unemployment benefits. Yeah, working as a waiter or waitress. In a cocktail bar. <laughs> Don't worry, it would take, uh, it would need to expand around 70 times from its current size for the necessary nuclear fusion to take place in order for it to become a star. Also, quote, the gas planet likely has three distinct cloud layers in its skies that, taken together, span about 44 miles, or 71 kilometers, the top cloud is probably made of ammonia ice, while the middle layer is likely made of ammonium hydrosulfide crystals. The innermost layer may be made up of water ice and vapor. That means that middle layer essentially has uh, some sulfuric acid in there, which is nice. 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 Go throw a body in there. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> definitely when... When the Mafia have filled up all of the the docks with people wearing cement shoes, then their next port of call is just going to be like the real shady area at the back of Jupiter. It's it's Space Mafia. Uh, there's got to be a book out there called Space Mafia. Space Mob. 
If there's not, write it down. <laughs> Nobody take that. This is copyrighted. Uh, we're not entirely sure of what is actually at Jupiter's core. Because uh, you've just got all these layers of gases, right? Just it's, it's essentially one big cloud. But that's just one of the many questions left unanswered about the giant planet. However, according to National Geographic's Maya Wehas, quote, Magnetic field da data from the Juno spacecraft, which we'll talk about a little bit later, suggests that the planet's core is surprisingly large and seems to be made from a partially dissolved solid material. Whatever that is, it's searing hot. And not just like, throw a chicken breast on there and you get like a nice char in there, searing hot. Scientists estimate the temperature in this region could be up to 90,032 degrees Fahrenheit. Hot enough to, to melt titanium. Very precise. I like that they didn't just stop it. Like, I don't know if that's a Fahrenheit thing, because again, as a European person, I, I, think, I, think I, I what, measure things in Celsius. I think what it is, is it's uh, converted from like Kelvin or like Celsius. Mm. And that's why it's like, oh, and 32 degrees. Because mm -hmm. 32 degrees is, is probably converted from Celsius. That's how the conspiracy theorists who think that actually we just live on like a flat disc and all the planets are just painted on, you know, they're not real. You just throw in the 32 so they're like, oh, it's a real, that's a real number. 90,000 degrees could be fake. 90,032. Ah. No, they're never going to believe anything. <laughs> no. This is factual. They don't even think COVID's real, so. No COVID mention. <laughs> <laughs> We, we try and keep this as timeless as possible, but if you honestly think that this kind of exists in some, um, I don't know, like in, in a vacuum, like in an alternate dimension where COVID doesn't exist and Kobe Bryant is still alive and uh, Jeffrey Epstein is still alive. It's a really weird dimension. Good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Anywho. Anyway. Here comes Alicia to rescue me with some more science. Can't wait. Okay, so Jupiter is a planet that is constantly ravaged by storms, hence the watercolor-like ripples and whirls that can be seen across its surface. Some of the storms near its equator are so intense they can generate wind speeds of up to 335 miles per hour. That's hella fast. Sure is. These winds have created what's referred to as the Great Red Spot, which is just so creative. Yeah. It's kind of like what I had in secondary school, except instead of the Great Red Spot, it was the Great Red Plague of Spots. I had really bad acne, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Okay, the Great Red Spot is a massive storm that's technically referred to as an anticyclone, according to solarsystem.nasa.gov. The largest and most powerful hurricanes ever recorded on Earth spanned over 1,000 miles across, with winds gusting up to around 200 miles per hour. That's wide enough to stretch across nearly all U.S. states east of Texas. But even that kind of storm is dwarfed by the Great Red Spot, a gigantic storm in Jupiter. There, gigantic means twice as wide as the planet Earth with tumultuous winds peaking at about 400 miles per hour. The Great Red Spot has been swirling wildly over Jupiter's skies for the past 150 years. Maybe even much longer than that. In fact, some estimates say that it may even have been going on for 350 years, or even longer. 
The giant spot is so giant you could fit three Earths within its diameter. More recently, three storms merged together to form a relatively smaller superstorm nicknamed the Little Red Spot. It's so adorable. Isn't it? <laughs> it's just like, oh, we got a big one. The little one. I just imagine that he is a quintessential little brother on a TV show. It's like, oh, jeez, Big Red, can I come and play with your friends? And he's like, no, Little Red, you're not cool enough to hang out with me and my buddies. He's like, oh, please, I want to I wanna have some ravaging winds that you can only be measured in terms of numbers of Texases. And it's like, oh, you're so uncool, Little Red Spot. I'm going to tell Mom. I don't know who mom would be in this scenario. The planet? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the analogy, once again, falls completely flat. <laughs> okay, Jupiter also has a massive magnetosphere. Ooh, just like Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> now who needs a nerd alert? <laughs> Around 16... That was never in doubt. Never. <laughs> just so we're all clear. Around 16 to 54 times more powerful than that of Earth's. It balloons between 1 to 3 million kilometers from the planet itself, and it can exert its influence as far away as the orbit of Saturn. This means that they have their own incredible version of northern lights at each pole. So for those who don't know what the magnetosphere is, and you, please correct me on this if I'm incorrect, you tend to have a magnetosphere around planets that have a solid metallic core, which is what we have, essentially. We think the center of Earth is uh, predominantly made up of iron. And when electrons hit the magnetosphere around Earth's atmosphere, that is what gives us the northern lights. That is my understanding. <laughs> is that your understanding? Pop quiz! Is that your understanding? I didn't even research anything. <laughs> You're not ready for the test? <laughs> Look, normally I, um, I'm a 100% research nerd. I love research. I just... It's I, been a busy week, <laughs> all right? I don't know anything Mama's about space. had a day. Mama's had a real day. The last time I talked about space was with, like, six-year-old kids. And they're a lot easier. You don't even get past the big red spot and they're like, tell me more. And I'm like, well, I've got what's available to me in this picture book and that's pretty much it. I could, but you also don't know what a hurricane is. So let's talk about that first. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love how dumb children are. That's It's a real, it makes the job a lot easier. But hey, speaking of dumb children... If you want to give us a better explanation for what a magnetosphere is, hit us up at etrhthepod at gmail.com or etrhthepod on all social media. So this is the thing you never should have gone into talking about a magnetosphere if you didn't know. Yeah, I went in with some real yeah, some confidence. big dick energy <laughs> and I, I've come out with some real shriveled some real energy. cold lake dick energy. Yep, cold hydrogen-based lake dick energy. Okay, well, according to the website, The Big Bang Optics, Jupiter's moons probably formed in tandem with Jupiter itself. The big planet likely started out as a disk of gases and dust that eventually became the, gla the glass giant. <laughs> it's made of glass. Uh, the gas giant <laughs> that we know today. While Jupiter took shape, some of the material swirling around it coalesced into the four moons that Galileo saw in 1610. 
and we'll be talking about that chap a little bit later on and his discovery and how, uh, of course, it made him real popular with the church and, yeah, yeah, Um, all contemporary thinkers at the time. I think it's uh, something I do know about, because I'm going to step out on a limb here, is talking about the moon. Uh, So supposedly our moon did not form at the same time Earth was created, which is why they're pointing this out. There was supposedly a huge meteor impact which destroyed a large portion of the forming Earth, like it hadn't solidified yet, and then that caused a satellite to form. Mm-hmm. And now we think it is potentially hollow and full of Nazis. Yeah, well, we don't think that we know that. Yeah, guys, just God. do your research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got some literature you should really check out. I've got a lot of brochures back home. Yeah, this is... This is on a plain black background and all the text is in Comic Sans and it's all highlighter shaded. Uh, so I, I don't know that this is a reputable so source. I'm 100% in. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Sign me up. Okay, Jupiter also has a faint ring system made of several faint rings. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know what else to say when I wrote the script. <laughs> a faint ring system made up of Cheerios. A faint ring system made up of baby bell cheese. A faint ring system made up of the hopes and dreams of a million children scattered throughout the universe. Made up of crushed bodies. (laughs) Made up of crushed Oreos. Ooh, yum. Okay, unlike Saturn, these aren't made of ice. Rather, these are a result of dust piled from its eight largest moons. Yeah, they just get hella dusty. And if you know anything about dust, you know that it comes from dead skin cells. So we could assume that it's just from all the astronauts just floating around in space. Again, do your research. Ask some questions, guys. (laughs) Really critical thinking. All right, so uh, the other thing you should know about Jupiter is that it has an incredibly strong radiation belt, which affects the flight pattern of orbiting satellites like Juno. It's so... Uh, strong, that flying something that is unmanned through it will potentially damage or even destroy that object. And little heads up, but when we talk about potentially going anywhere near Jupiter uh, later on in the episode, that's something to uh, consider as well. I mean, we have one of those around the Earth. It's known as the Van Allen Belt, and it is why you need like a sufficient layer of insulation against solar radiation when you're leaving Earth's atmosphere. Um, And it's also cosmic radiation is part of the reason why astronauts are at a higher risk of developing cancer than people who just live on the ground like us. Worth it. Yeah. Uh, But not people who, like, I don't know, smoke 40 a day and drink Red Bull like it's going out of fashion. Uh, We can't prove that Red Bull is cancerous. But you go ahead and try and prove that it's not cancerous. <laughs> no one opens up a can of Red Bull, drinks it, and they're like, ah, that's my daily vitamins. You're saying libel, William, libel. Oh, they're not going to come after us. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to have the, the scientists who study the magnetosphere coming after <laughs> us before Red Bull. Anyway, so yeah, it's got a really strong radiation belt. Which we'll talk about a little bit more later on <laughs> while I desperately try and find my place in the script. We've got 66 moons. That's there where we're at. 66 confirmed moons, I'm using quotation marks, 
because it really it depends on what you classify as a moon. If you classify anyth- anything that is larger than a, a rock that is caught in the orbit of a planet and it's not in a decaying so, orbit. That's the size of a rock, I mean. Yay big. <laughs> you looking at my hands? <laughs> can, can you see where my hands are? That's it. In that case, like, a satellite would just be a moon. Like a man-made satellite. And I know yes. moons are satellites. So well, that's where we get there. yes, yes, that's, yes, okay, right. But not, okay, not man-made. <laughs> not that. Made like, by space. Like that, not like, not that. Oh, Jesus Christ, I can't even do the joke. So there are 66 of these confirmed moons of varying different sizes, uh, many of which are just captured asteroids with a, di- a diameter of less than 10 kilometers, which is it's pretty small. Minuscule. Yeah. It's barely like, I can, I can run 10 kilometers. Show off. Here we go again. <laughs> which means that I could like run around one of these moons. Would it be kind of hard? Incredibly so. But conceivable. The minute that you say you can't do something, you're never going to do it. All right? Just be positive. Okay. <laughs> this has been your daily <laughs> affirmation. Uh, some think that the number of moons orbiting around Jupiter could be 79 or even more, which are currently un- unidentified. Again, the Big Bang Optics points out, quote, many of the Jovian moons orbit in the same... <gasps> That's the title! <laughs> you said the name of the thing! Many of the Jovian moons orbit in the same direction in which Jupiter spins, but there are those which go the opposite way. With so many bodies revolving in different directions, collisions are inevitable. Moons that crash into one another might well be destroyed in the process, or potentially just split into more moons. Yeah, at some point, though, you have to, like, define your moon because like otherwise you just have little chunks of rock floating by and you're like yeah i've got a hundred thousand moons you go and tell that to the astronomical community at large and be like just pick a side people can't even well i'm writing up my sign right now excuse Uh me i'm gonna go pick it people can't even decide if jaffa cakes are cakes or biscuits all right so good luck that's solved what do you mean that solved? Biscuits go soft, cakes go hard. What does a Jaffa cake do when it's stale? It goes hard. So? Yes. It's a cake. <laughs> I am playing devil's advocate here, but there are some people who would argue, I mean, look, you can't you can't sell a packet of I'm putting my face in my hand here. You can't sell a packet of cakes. To someone and and then put it in their biscuit in all good conscience, put it in your biscuit tin, and then when company comes round, you put on a cup of tea and you're like, Jaffa cake, help yourself to two. Because you're essentially saying, Have as many cakes as you want, you fat fuck. No, it's the same as uh like Twinkies and all the like hostess stuff. Twinkies should not be I I am <laughs> I'm going to war on junk food today. Look, all of that hostess like little little, little, little debbies, debbies all the little cakes or whatever those are all like bite-sized treats they are not biscuits or cookies a jaffa cake is a bite-sized treat when it's did not big a big snack get to you <laughs> when did 
when did you come when, on to Big Snacks? When payroll? Jaffa Cake tried to tried to circumvent tax laws in order to get labeled as a biscuit because being a cake would cost them more. And now Jaffa Cake <laughs> is building their own rocket so that they can fly away from Earth to Jupiter uh, whilst wearing a fucking stupid cowboy hat and boots. Yeah. Uh, and their rocket's shaped like a dick. And their big cock rocket. Wow, we fit all <laughs> the swear words from this one episode into that one 60-second segment. So if we want to make it family-friendly, we'll just go back and edit that one minute out. I feel like it was longer than a minute. It felt longer than a minute. Back to the moons. These moons fall into several groups depending on their orbit. The Himalaya family are a group of seven moons that travel in prograde. Prograde means travels in the same direction as the planet. Uh-huh. Don't don't feel like a dummy if I, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not talking down to anyone, but you know if if I then say retrograde and you're like what what's prograde? And then people are like Mars is in retrograde, and so I've got to rub my crystals. Okay. Um. I mean, do whatever you want with, with your crystals. You paid for them. Uh, so the Himalaya group, they're traveling in prograde. They're the only group of moons that has more than one member that's larger than 10 kilometers in diameter. They are moons. <laughs> this is a hill that you're going to die on, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's just space rock. So we've come into this episode and been like, guys, Jupiter, let's talk about it. It's got so many moons. It's crazy. And you're like, but not really. <laughs> it actually has Look, like four. If all Earth had rotating around it was something that was smaller than 10 kilomots. Oh, wow. <laughs> than 10 kilomots. <laughs> yeah, kilomots. I say it. 10 kilometers. Then, one, none of life would be possible because of the tides and shit. But, two, uh,. That would be shit. That's the shittest moon. That's not a moon. That's no moon. Yeah, I was about to say Obi-Wan <laughs> is the only person who could sort this out. We need to get Obi-Wan over at Command Control and NASA right now and just show him the list of moons that we find and he could be like, that's no moon. That's no moon. You don't have to point at everyone. That's no you moon. Could, you could just fill in that's the no sheet, moon. please, Obi-Wan. That's no moon. Excellent. You paid for the full hour. I'm going to give you the full hour. Uh, so the the Pasiphae family, which is the, the next family of moons, has eight of them. And uh, they orbit far from Jupiter, meaning that they're strongly influenced by solar and other gravitational pools. Uh, meanwhile, the Carme group, which is made up of 13 known moons, uh, they travel around Jupiter in retrograde, which means the opposite direction from which it's been, uh, from which it seems, <laughs> from the direction it's spinning. You want to spin? Let's you? go to spin class. Uh, they all have a similar color and composition, meaning that they likely broke away from Carme after some kind of impact. Then there's the Ananke group, which is made up of twelve moons, which are also traveling in retrograde but have a distinct enough orbit to be classified as distinct from the Carme group. Finally, we have the ungrouped prograde moons Thermisto, Carpo, and Valetudo, and the ungrouped retrograde moons 
There are too many of these moons to mention, and many of them are highly influenced by the pull of both the sun and other Jovian planets. So just imagine keeping all of those plates spinning at the same time. It's no wonder she's a little big girl. A little, a little bigger. She's comfort eaten. Yeah. She's had a busy day of chasing her baby if, moons. If your moon is getting constantly pulled away... I'm, okay, fair. I do know that the US... The US... Oh my god. I just got so self-centered there for a second. <laughs> the Earth's moon um, is is moving away from the Earth like several <clears throat> centimeters a year. Or something like that. Millimeters? Centimeters. It's moving away from us very slowly, yeah. So maybe it's getting pulled by the sun, but if, like, a big group of your moons are getting pulled away by other planets, are they moons then? This is your, if your boyfriend keeps cheating on you, you... He's not your boyfriend. He's not really... (laughs) He's our boyfriend, comrade. (laughs) Yeah, you, uh... What we're trying to say is Jupiter should kick those moons to the curb because they don't want to be there anyway. Yeah. They don't need no moons that don't know what they want. Those moons have always had one foot out the door. All right? Yeah. Trust the real moons, okay? Those moons' Facebook status is it's complicated. And that is a reference that is maybe only 10 years or more old. It so feels older. It surely does. It sure does. Um, let's reflect on how incredibly old we are uh next to facebook with a little ad break okay Welcome back. Thank you. Okay, so now that we're back, why don't we talk about some probes? Who are? <laughs> okay. One of the reasons we know so much about the appearance and composition of Jupiter and her moons is because of the many probe missions that have flown by them in recent decades. The first flyby was performed by Pioneer 10 in 1973. Isn't that crazy? It was that long ago? Just that we were able to do that in 1973? Um, yeah, I, but then... Sure, we went to the moon in 69, but still. Yeah, I guess it's all, it's all relative, isn't it? Because we've had, we've been able to send satellites out to orbit around since Sputnik in the early 1950s. And I guess, in a sense, I'm not trying to minimize the work of the fine people at NASA, but all you're doing is shoving a bunch of things in the box, pointing it in the right direction, firing it, and then kind of hoping that it, that it makes the... That's the, not what's happening <laughs> by any means. No? Isn't it? Okay, first of all, you need to make sure that it can get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're figuring out the exact path it needs to take and what gravity is going to affect it, you know. It, it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to throw a bunch of components into a metal orb and send it out into space. It's I a lot of that. tactical math. And Sometimes not only it's that, not even an orb. Okay. <laughs> so, the first flyby was performed by Pioneer. 
1973. This was followed in 1979 by Voyagers 1 and 2, and they were the first missions to both the faint rings around Jupiter and the volcanic nature of Io. More on that later. I, I think it's really interesting that every time we go past, we discover something new. And, I mean, compared to the amount that we know about Earth, right, the amount that we know about something that's in our solar system, is kind of in our backyard, the difference in knowledge is, is so vast. Sure, but I guess think of it in terms of you are... I use the term discovering a new continent, but say like a random continent popped up on Earth and uh, there's nobody living on it. Yeah, I think it's fair to call it discovering as long as no one lived there first. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is uh, you're you're living in like the era of like wooden boats, right? Be the same as like sailing by like an island and being like, oh, that looks interesting. I see some trees. And the next time you like sail by, you're like, oh, actually there's a volcano on it. I just want to point out that when Alicia was talking about sailing by, she made the motion of paddling. (laughs) (laughs) As though you had just paddled uh, halfway across the ocean. You were like, oh, an island. (laughs) Well, that's my morning exercise done. Back to shore. I was actually thinking of a paddle boat, you know, so they're just standing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've just got excellent core strength and balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're one of those dickheads. Do you remember the time that we went paddleboarding uh, in Thailand? And, well, uh, and you were some great. of us went paddleboarding. <laughs> the water was a bit choppy. And so... The center of gravity is quite high. I'm a tall man. I'm built for many things. I'm not built for paddleboarding. I think if it had been perfectly calm... I, there were moments where I could stand up there for 30 seconds at a go, but the idea that I was going to, like, paddleboard anywhere except, like, in circles or, like, just be... What ended up happening was that the card was just taking me further and further away from shore. I was worried he was so, going to go out to yeah. sea. <laughs> so I was having to jump off the paddleboard swim with the paddleboard attached to my leg to get closer to the shore and then try and get back on it and be like, all right, let's try this thing again. So we decided on jet skis. Anywho, tell me more about these satellites. Ooh, okay. So the the 1990s saw the Ulysses mission, uh, followed by Levi 9, before the decade was finished up with the Galileo mission in 1995. This mission ran for eight years, and by the time it had finished in 2005, the satellite had performed 34 orbits of Jupiter, and during one orbit, it even dropped a probe into Jupiter's atmosphere that sent back data for over an hour before it was crushed. I've just realized there that I've written that it ran for eight years, and it started in 1995, and it finished in 2005, Mm. (laughs) and my math is not adding up somewhere. But suffice it to say, it ran for a long time and it sent back a lot of data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In 2000, Cassini gave us our closest image of the gas giant from a mere 6.2 million miles away. It's basically peeping in its back window. (laughs) Pervert. (laughs) Then in 2007, New Horizons gave us new perspectives. New Horizons, new perspectives. Oh, I didn't even (laughs) realize that. Synergize. Of Jupiter's massive storms, as well as more can 
more candids of Io and Europa. I did know what I was doing when I when yeah. I did that in there, yeah. And I fucked it up, sorry. It was taken, mm-hmm. yeah, it was basically uh, taken sexies of Io and Europa. Oh, yeah. Turn, uh-huh. Give me the face. That's a model term, right? Give, give, <laughs> give me the face. It's like the face, like face. Give me face. Give, give me face? I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure face is like a model term. <laughs> I, th- I think you're being photographed by a photographer for whom English is not their first. Like, ooh, baby, hot. Give me face. Ooh, yes, sexy. Mmm, more. Give me face. More face. Face me. Let's be honest, I'm not being photographed by anyone. So then in 2011, Juno was launched to conduct examinations on Jupiter's chemistry and atmosphere, as well as its interior and magnetosphere. It arrived in 2016, giving us some of the clearest and most beautiful images we currently have of our distant solar neighbors. Yeah, it's true. And if you look up the the most recent images of Jupiter, they are, even if you're not a science nerd, just like take a minute, pause the podcast, Google... Go to our Instagram. Yeah, because we're going to stick up some pictures of Jupiter uh, and and the moons. And even if you are not a science nerd, just take a moment to just, I don't know, look at it. Appreciate? Yeah, look at it the way that you would look at like a potential wallpaper for your phone or your desktop. Just look at how clear those images are. And think about the fact that it had to travel millions of miles in order to send you back that thing that that Microsoft is going to try and convince you to make your wallpaper. It's just it's going to pop up in your desktop, along with your reminder to download Windows 11. Okay, um, so the four largest moons orbiting Jupiter were discovered by astronomer Galileo. The, what the heck are you doing? I don't know. That's my part of the script. <laughs> Step off, son. I don't know what I'm doing. The four largest moons orbiting Jupiter were discovered by astronomer Galileo Galilei in 1610. Ooh, tell me more. I sure will. They're sometimes referred to as the Galilean satellites. They are known as Io, Callisto, Ganymede, and Europa, named for Zeus's various lovers, although Galileo referred to them simply as 1, 2, 3, and 4. Sexy. (laughs) For all we know, that's how Zeus referred to them as well. I mean, probably he had so many. I know. Weird that you would remember all of Zeus's ex-girlfriend's names. Why Why is that weird? I mean, I don't know. It's just like, they're, they're his side chicks. Yeah. And I was going to say this for a fun fact, but uh, Juno is the name of Jupiter's wife. Mm-hmm. So they send Juno the probe to go look at his lover's the moon. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's that's funny. I like what they did there. Mm-hmm. Like, she's going to go sort them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Galileo saw them through his telescope as four distinct white dots. Incidentally, he made his own telescope through secondhand knowledge of this new Dutch device invented the year prior and after teaching himself the art of lens grinding. So this guy was an astronomer who had to invent the primary device that we still, you know, modern radio telescopes are are completely different to that initial design. However, 
if you are stargazing, you're using a device that Galileo had to build himself by hand in order to... Not just by hand, he had to, like, craft the glass to put into it. Yeah, and he couldn't just look at YouTube tutorials to do that either. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because uh, he was more of like a daily motion kind of guy. Tell me more, Grandpa. What? Uh, <laughs> why am I the Grandpa here? <laughs> She's like, well, we couldn't use YouTube. You kids. No, but but think about that for a second. Think about any time that you, like, you've watched a woman make dresses using secondhand materials, or you watch somebody, like, homebrew kombucha, or start their own raised bed garden in their, in their back garden. You're like, oh, I could do that. I watched that in a 10-minute video. Oh, I had no idea. You know, and, and you still don't do it because we're all lazy compared to Galileo, who's, like, grinding the glass and, like, building a telescope by hand. Sure. I do think that it is a bit of, like, oh, you kids, because, you know, Back in the day, we used to have to go to the library and check out books that may or may not be there to figure out how to start our crappy hobbies that we would give up after a week. Yeah. I mean, I'm not taking away from the people who, who do actually learn things via YouTube or podcasts, but <laughs> <laughs> because there is a lot more of that nowadays, but it's just like, take a step back and think about how motivated you you would have to be in order to do that. To look at some white dots. <laughs> and be like, ah, oh, they're, yep, they're there. <laughs> All four of them. So, uh, yeah, quite a guy. He also was amongst the first to spot Saturn's unusual appearance, later identified as its rings. The Venus travels through phases and sunspots. He discovered uh, the what we think of as those kind of like whirling... Uh, solar mass ejections on the front of the sun. Before that, they just thought it was a big yellow ball. I or... hope he was protecting his eyes. I really, yeah, not doing like a Sir Isaac Newton or Donald Trump and just staring directly at it. Uh, Donald Trump can still do that. <laughs> to his heart's content. Um, in an article by Albert Van Helden, is that the DJ? What DJ? I mean, I think I clearly think his name is Albert Van Helden, but I don't, I don't know if that is his real name. Look, I know like three DJs. Name them: Avicii, Swedish House Mafia, and um, shit. Great job. Uh, Look, I know like two DJs. I feel like I've proved my point even more, though. I feel like it's Amon Van Helden. In an article by Albert Van Helden, not the DJ, and Lynette Nobody S. Nobody thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I did for a hot second. And Lynette S. Audrey, they said, quote, Although these discoveries did not prove that Earth is a planet orbiting the sun, they undermined Aristotelian cosmology. The absolute difference between the corrupt earthly region and the perfect and unchanging heavens was proved wrong by the mountainous surface of the moon. The moons of Jupiter showed that there had to be more than one centre of motion in the universe, and the phases of Venus showed that, and by implication Mercury, uh, revolves around the sun. So his discovery of objects orbiting something that wasn't the Earth helped shape our modern understanding of our place in the solar system. But it's so dumb, isn't it? Because, like, people have such 
sincere beliefs about something like everything rotates around the Earth, you know, the heliocentric model, and therefore we are the center of the universe because that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you take that away from them, they suddenly feel like, well, well, then the, the rest of it doesn't make sense. So therefore, we're going to have to kill you or put you under house arrest. I, the, look, if you are the kind of person who believes in the intelligent design, fair enough. I don't personally believe in that. But if you are the kind of person who believes in intelligent design, then part of that line of thinking stems from this idea that humans are somehow exceptional and maybe we we are the peak of existence right uh, directly below god or directly below some kind of intelligent creator um so you know the these two things are kind of linked the minute that you get into oh i disagree with you therefore <laughs> uh you know i'm i'm going to torture you or murder you that's a different kettle of fish no but what i'm saying is that like there are plenty of people who are scientists or scientifically minded and can rectify that with their belief in like a god or a higher power mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that but what is wrong is when you somebody else's discovery of something that is fundamentally true shakes your core belief there's nothing wrong with being like oh well Okay, so it doesn't rotate around, you know, the Earth. It's still, we're still special, you know? But to just be like, well, well, now the whole house of cards is coming tumbling down. Yeah. When somebody comes up to you and they're like, well, I've never actually met anyone that's died of COVID. Have you? And they're like, actually, yeah, like I, I do know a couple of people who have. And they just look at you and they're like, well, I don't think that's right. The the flu! (laughs) Or they just pull a couple of smoke bombs out of their back pocket and just hit it on the ground (laughs) and run. (laughs) I mean, we should all be big enough that uh, when enough evidence is presented to us that directly contradicts something that we firmly held uh, as as our core belief up until that point, it's going to be difficult to take on board, but ultimately, like, the fact should win out, right? Sure. It's hard, though. It's hard, and that's why um, Galileo got into some big old trouble. Yeah, he did. He uh, he he basically had to speak to the Pope at the time to ask if he could present his findings and, and publish his findings. And the Pope at the time sounded like he was pretty cool, kind of woke. He was like, yeah, but don't directly... You've got to phrase it in such a way that it doesn't directly contradict the church. Galileo was like, sound, no bother. And he was like, and the then, church! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He was like, actually, nah, the church is wrong, lol. And so that's what got him into, into trouble. Okay, so Listen let's to talk your about some moons. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so the first one is Io. 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 I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Where are you taking this with this? <laughs> okay. It has an almost sickly yellow and orange color, not dissimilar to the look of petrol floating in water. Or gas. Is that yellow? I think it... I I tried to... <laughs> this is my script, by the way, guys. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying it so far. I tried to think of what it actually resembles because it it has these 
this kind of mottled look of uh, oxidized yellow, almost the color of uh, it's like jaundice. Yeah, <laughs> it it's really beautiful in its way, but it's hard to compare it to anything. Fa- like if you're trying to get an accurate depiction of its color and its composition, it's it's difficult to compare it to anything. Like it looks bruised. It looks like a fungus. Yeah, but in a in a nice way. But in a pretty way. You're it like definitely a, you're sounds like, like a mushroom, but like pretty. It sounds like we're nagging on Io. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that color that we're nagging on is caused by sulfur dioxide snowfields, so it's not her fault. Yeah, that she has snowfields made of acid. <laughs> so she's the closest moon to Jupiter. Is this of all like seventy-two moons? Uh, I believe uh, it's the closest of the Galilean okay. moons. Uh, it's 3,642 kilometers in diameter. The fourth largest moon in the solar system. It has over 400 volcanoes, also making it the most volcanic object in the solar system. It has over 100 mountains, some of which are taller than Mount Everest. Its highly volcanic nature isn't due to tectonic plates. It's caused by something called tidal flexing. Yeah, which is where you like... <laughs> I pause because I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Say something funny, Will. It's where you roll up in the other moons and you're like, yo, what's up? And then you kind of like, you got to reach you're something like... and you're showing them like your Rolex just kind of coming out of the bottom of your sleeve. You like drop your wallet and you're like, oh shit, it's that. Oh, there's like cash spilling out. Uh, I was kind <laughs> of a douchebag. I mean, it's blowing up all the time. It's vaping. Io has an elliptic elliptical orbit around Jupiter, meaning that it is intermittently pulled and then released in one direction. This causes the core of the moon to bulge, creating volcanic outflows. Yeah, so the reason that it has such a, a highly volcanic nature, as you said earlier, the the most volcanic in the solar system is because of the way that it's being pushed and pulled so by basically, Jupiter. So basically, Jupiter is like, come back here, baby. And every time he's like pulling her back and she's like exploding because he's just grabbing her core. Io is in a very toxic <laughs> relationship with Jupiter. The other moons have talked to Io about it. And Io is like, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you just don't know Jupiter like I do. And it's like, um, so they're, you know, they're kind of waiting for Io to come to Io's senses. Mm-hmm. But like only only she can save herself. Yeah. Only uh That's not true. Reach out for help if you need it. Definitely reach out to your friends and family if you feel that they are in a Jupiter Io type dynamic. <laughs> what I was gonna say about Io as well and its volcanoes, the <laughs> these uh eruptions are so massive that some of the images captured by the probes they thought that they were looking at more moons stacked behind Io. They weren't. They were seeing volcanic um, ash clouds that were large enough to create like a bulbous bulge on the side of Io that looked like other moons that were behind it. Gotcha. It's so huge. Like imagine, imagine a volcanic eruption on Earth that was large enough to create a disruption in our atmosphere. It's nuts. It's wild, Alicia. It's wild. It's fucking crazy. These are your wild, wild moon facts, guys. Is it me? It's you. It is. Oh, it's so, it so is. 
Let me tell you about Europa. The smallest of the Galilean moons, and a little smaller than our own moon, it was originally thought that Europa would be covered in impact craters, but actually, its very lightly coloured surface is crisscrossed with many lines and gullies. Its surface is actually thought to be pretty young, only around 80 to 120 million years old. Yeah, pretty young. Yeah. yeah still looking good. I guess... So the thought here is because it has no atmosphere and it's in uh, an area that is just swarming with asteroids. And quote-unquote moons. (laughs) Moons. That it was going to be covered in impact craters, like our moon is, which gives it the the face of the man in the moon. Did you ever have it referred to as the man in the moon when you were a kid? Yeah. Uh, That's all asteroids. Uh, impacting with with our own satellite uh, but it doesn't have that it's kind of again pause the podcast at any time go look up images at europa and it's got this really distinct kind of almost like a melted wax look about it as though somebody's kind of melted wax and then dripped it in long strands across its surface you know modern well, technology means you don't even have to pause the podcast just go look yeah not while driving guys not while driving come on mm. 10 and 2 eyes front 9 and 3 Nine, nine and three? They changed it. Six and two eighths. <laughs> a halfpenny. Nope. <laughs> two bob and a shilling. That's my final offer. Uh, what are we doing? Please tell me. <laughs> what's the... The barbershop one? Oh, uh... Shave and a haircut. Yeah. Two bits. Yeah. Yep. There we go. That's yep, it. Yep. That's all I needed. Let's move on. One of the reasons Europa's surface is so light-coloured and highly reflective is because its surface is covered in ice, and the current prevailing theory is that there may be a vast subterranean sea beneath the moon's surface. Guess what? It's not just Europa. Uh, Yeah. If this is the case, some astrobiologists, which is totally a real thing, think that this may be our best hope at finding extraterrestrial life in our solar system. So their thinking is that if you, I I guess this is a relatively recent discovery on Earth, but once we developed uh, craft that were substantial enough to send down to places like the Mariana Trench and discovered uh, these areas that were rich with hydrothermal vents and then discovered stuff living down there, the theory is that the reason that creatures are able to survive at those depths is that they are subsisting on the uh, heat energy that comes out of the vents. And nutrients. Yeah, mineral-rich nutrients. So the idea is that something similar could be going on beneath the surface of Europa. You yeah. could have a big old uh, sea under the... Under, under the sea. Under the crust. Under the rich, flaky crust. And uh, there could be all kinds of life down there. Which is pretty cool stuff. I mean, you know... When we talk about life in in the universe, most people are probably like, oh, you know, aliens and UFOs, but realistically what we're talking about is, like, microbes. Yeah. And, like, tiny, little, minuscule things that, you know, you're not going to go to Europa and see, like, a shark swimming through the ocean. But what As dope as that would be. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Um, Big old space shark. But it's more like if you could find a microbe on another planet that you didn't bring there, that just expands the possibilities of intelligent life somewhere else. 
yeah, not to be like grandiose or pompous, but although that is my default setting. Mm, true. I mean, it might very well hold the clues to life on Earth, mm. right? Where where life on our own planet came from. So yeah, not to be not to be sniffed at. Um, here's a segue. I'm delivering the segue. Break I'm time. a segue off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't drive off a cliff during the next ad break. See you. Hopefully, not dead. Soonish. Oh God. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you're still safely fastened into your car and enjoying your hypothetical car journey down the road of nope. life. <laughs> nope. Let's talk about Ganymede. Yeah. So it's mostly grey and pockmarked surface is similar to our own moon with a dusting of white spots as though confectioner sugar was accidentally spilled on it. A little bit of salt bay. When, again, peek behind the curtain, but when I wrote the script for this, like, I was pretty tired and I was trying to, like, write it in between planning classes, so I was just looking at pictures of these moons and being like, what the fuck does that moon look like? How would I explain this to somebody who doesn't have access to Google? But yeah, that's, that's what I think it looks like. Not as though somebody made a concerted, it doesn't look like the donut that was dusted in confectioner's sugar, it looks like... Oops. The leg of your trousers while you were eating the donut and you were like, oh, shit. Okay. But more majestic. It's 5,268.2 kilometers, kilometers in diameter, making it the largest moon in our solar system. It's larger than Mercury, but has around half of its mass and most of its substance is made of ice. Yeah, so, it's a big old moon. Lack of substance. That's what people are always saying about Ganymede. Yeah, it's just, it's following whatever the weight of Strand is. It's not really into anything, that, but it's got like a bunch of t-shirts and mugs with different stuff on it. But it is the only moon to have its own magnetic field. So it's got that going for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things uh, are really looking up for Ganymede. <laughs> I think he's going to turn it around. Uh, it has its own magnetic field probably due to its iron-rich liquid core. And Which, like, again, I couldn't write without just picturing, you know, like those lint chocolates, mm -hmm. uh, like the the, the balls that of... you bite into and there's like a liquid center. Yeah. You were really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write while peckish. Like Europa, it's also thought to have a subsurface ocean, potentially around 100 kilometers deep underneath the 150 kilometer crust of ice that covers it. Yeah, so when it says subterranean ocean, it's all the way down there, and then it just keeps on going. How deep is our ocean? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover that a little bit later okay. on, but I think in some places that would be ten times as deep as the deepest points of our mm -hmm. as Earth's oceans. So pretty deep, pretty deep, pretty deep. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much it for Ganymede. Maybe it has uh, maybe it has life. Yeah, maybe it has life. 
Uh, let's talk about Callisto, which is definitely the most tropical sounding of all the... <laughs> Did Are you thinking one. of cat? We did like little casted hats with your fingers, <laughs> and it's got one of those hats that's got like the little pom poms coming off the side of it. Uh, Callisto, always dancing, always drinking rum. It's the fourth and farthest away moon uh, of the Galilean moons, uh, and the most heavily cratered object in the solar system. Like it's okay to have pockmark scars. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no one's shaming Callisto, but it's um. You know, it's girl's lived, got it's, some craters. It's lived a life. It's lived a life. If you're into your smooth moons... Get out of here. You know, smooth mooners need not apply. Uh, it is 4,820 kilometers in diameter, making it the second largest of the Galilean moons. It has a thin atmosphere and, you guessed it, an underground ocean. <laughs> However, its distance from Jupiter makes it less geologically active. So it's probably less likely to have geothermal vents? Potentially, is what they're thinking. Uh, If you'll remember earlier when we were talking about Io, uh, we were saying the reason that it's so volcanically active is because it's close to Jupiter and it's got that whole push-pull weird relationship going on. Yes. Uh, Callisto has, uh, you know, it's on nodding terms with Jupiter. <laughs> Nod? <laughs> yes. Good day to you. And you, sir. Mmm, quite. Just do the chin nod. Should, really, if it's if it's a chin nod, then it's going the opposite direction, and it should therefore be a don. A what? A don. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Think about it. Mm. Not I'm happy on, with I'm that on, one. I'm on dawning terms with that guy. No, definitely no. sounds like a butt sex thing. <laughs> you know, well, maybe you are on dawning terms we've, with him. We've donned. <laughs> don't don't you don? Well. Don't you don your neighbors? I don't know him that well, but you know, we've done. I would don him. For the love of God, <laughs> talk about the next subject. Terraforming! Yeah. What is terraforming for people who don't know? So terraforming is when you take a planet or like an ecosystem that uh you cannot live on and you make it more like earth so terra meaning earth so changing that planet into an earth-like planet yeah somewhere somewhere we're uh so it's not the same as colonization because we've talked about building colonies on mars for example but mars would be really quite tricky to terraform you could have human habitats in under massive domes, for example, but that's not the same as being able to walk around on the surface of Mars without a spacesuit. Yeah, you, basically, it's like sometimes the creation of an atmosphere, but basically the creation of like an oxygen-rich atmosphere, mm-hmm. and then like a soil uh, prop- like component and a water component, so that you could grow plants and have uh, drinkable water and arable land. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about some of those different methods, different hypotheticals. Okay, so what if we wanted to live on one of the moons? Mm, why wouldn't you? I mean, not all moons are equal. I, <laughs> I feel like you're making a really long <laughs> statement there, and I should be like, whoa, Alicia, hey. Well, calm down. Um, some may be better than others when it comes to a home for humanity. Matt Williams at Universe Today wrote a piece on how we might terraform the Galilean moons through techniques such as forced global warming, shell planets, or paraterraforming. 
floating above a host world while the surface below is slowly changed and colonized. Yeah. <laughs> Shell planet specifically sounds like hollow moon type theory to be honest forced global warming and shell planet sounds like what we're doing to our sounds own planet like right now the gop's list <laughs> <laughs> uh yep control the senate tick uh, uh make it harder for minorities to vote tick shell planet well on its way forced global warming you betcha double tick uh, so, not all moons are created equal. Io is a bit of non-starter as far as terraforming goes. Uh, it does, after all, have a highly volcanic and therefore hostile surface. There's also the problem of Io's immense doses of radiation. Quote, Io receives an estimated 3,600 rem, or 36 SV, of ionizing radiation per day, Whereas living organisms here on Earth experience an average of 24 rem per year. Ooh, I can be a superhero. Um, sure you can. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, yeah, you're gonna be the next Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah, for the one second before you're dead. <laughs> yes, you'll go real green and get real angry and then cease to exist. Uh, it also has little to no water. It's thought this may be as a result of its close proximity to Jupiter, where the planet was initially formed. Uh, the incredible amount of heat blasting liquid molecules off of Io's surface. As a matter of fact, it has the least amount of water on any object in the solar system, and as a general rule, that's not great for fostering life. Hmm. Go on. No, I'm just surprised. That has the least amount of water. Yeah, I don't... Um, or that we even know which one has the least amount of water. Impressive. I mean, do we really know anything for certain here? We I are... mean, considering we only found ice caps on Mars just a little while ago. Mm-hmm. 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 At its poles, yeah. I don't know why I added it. <laughs> At its poles! I know something, too! Mm. Uh Oh, my goodness. So, so, yeah, a lot of radiation, a lot of volcanoes. A lot of yeah, a lot of boom-booms, a lot of uh, space ouchie. Um, yeah. I'm sorry I said boom-booms. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Mm. Moving swiftly on, though. Europa seems like a slightly safer bet for would-be colonists. It's much cooler and has a relatively fixed orbit. Tidally locked on one side to its uh, host planet. So it can't rotate. Yeah, so one side is permanently facing Jupiter, the other is permanently facing the rest of the solar system. I I thought you were going to make a joke about it being uh, much cooler. It's got like a fake ID and yeah, its parents are away a lot and they don't mind if you drink in the house, just like as long as you clean up after yourself. Okay, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for supporting me on the podcast. I really appreciate that. You know how improv is always saying yes and? Yeah, well, your version of improv is dot, 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 and Just nope, that's it. Silence. <laughs> Blank stare. Uh, asterisks say nothing. To be fair, um, I didn't hear the it's cooler than, so I didn't know what you were talking about. It's good. I like that we're bouncing off each other. Mm. Uh, it's 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 spicy for the audience at home. 
so yeah, it's cooler. It's got one side facing Jupiter permanently. It also has less radiation, although it's still a balmy 540 rem per day. Once again, on our planet, it's 24 rem per year. So it's still a lot. Uh, Europa's water-rich surface and interior make it a popular choice. According to Matt Williams, quote, using nuclear devices, cometary impacts, or some other means of to increase the surface temperature, Europa's surface ice could be sublimated and form a massive atmosphere of water vapour. This vapour would then undergo radiolysis due to exposure from Jupiter's magnetic field, converting it into oxygen gas, which would stay close to the planet, and hydrogen, which would escape into space. Interesting. Yeah? It sounds cool. I'm curious in the timeline of that. Very long. <clears throat> very, very long indeed. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about some of the potential hurdles and pitfalls in these terraforming plans a little bit later, but uh, it's not going to happen while you and I are still around. Nothing exciting ever is. I know. I mean, we are millennials, so we <laughs> we we are the generation that have taught ourselves to lower lower us that little bit lower. lower. Keep going. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. yeah. You know how um that uh ocean was um subterranean. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah, all the way to the bottom. There you are, at the bottom with some avocado toast. At least I have my avocado toast. <laughs> Don't have a house, uh, <laughs> but I've got my avocado toast. Oh, boy, oh, boy. So William goes on to say that the result would be an ocean world where floating settlements would navigate themselves and set patterns around the surface to create a faux day and night cycle. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I like this idea of, like, floating settlements. It's very, like sci-fi i'm totally into it 100%. It's, it's water world <laughs> yeah yeah it's kevin costner's water world yeah except it's like floating in space which is like a hundred times cooler like yeah. floating in the air except it didn't almost ruin universal studios yeah but have yet. you been to the water world <laughs> stunt show because that's pretty awesome I mean, the best I, thing to come out of Waterworld. I, I, yeah, I think there is a debate to be had if you if you produce one of the best attractions at a theme park, is it worth almost bankrupting bankrupting uh, a film studio and potentially putting paid to like pre CGI action movies with uh, mega budgets like that? I don't know, but then you have the opposite with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Good movie ship ride. Is yeah. that what you're trying to say? I mean. I have no experience in either of these. I'm more a uh, Superman ride at Six Flags type of type of guy myself. But well, fair we, enough. <laughs> we could talk about that all day. But let's go back to these freaking moons. Terraforming. Uh, so Ganymede is another possible contender for colonization. For one, Ganymede has a gravitational force of one point four two eight meters per second squared, which is similar to our own moon. So oh, we, so that, that's not bad. We get to bounce around. Yeah. Uh, that means the long-term effects of life in low-gravity environment, loss of muscle mass and lower bone density, would be less of an issue. But part of the reason why I chose, like, Jovian moons as a topic and then started talking about terraforming is because, as you know, I love the book series, uh, The Expanse, mm -hmm. Leviathan Wakes, Persepolis Rising, all those by James, yeah. James S. A. Corey. I'm yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're really good. And one of the reasons that I... I'm really into them is because the authors have 
really sat and thought about like the practicalities of exploring and living in deep space. Yeah. I mean, if you've never watched the TV show, this is really interesting. Like there's people who live in like the asteroid belt and they have less gravity than other people. So they're taller and thinner. The belters. Yeah. And they, because they live so far away from earth, which is still essentially uh, one, one of only two superpowers in the solar system they are afforded fewer resources so they're so they have to live in low oxygen environments and and essentially they can't survive outside of the belt because if they went somewhere like mars or earth or our own moon they would be crushed under the gravity um yeah it's real cool if you haven't checked it out can't recommend it enough yeah it's super good when the final book in the series comes out later this year uh like my life will be complete wow wow yeah (laughs) all right um let me just move on past that. Blow to my What ego. were you expecting me to say? <laughs> Obviously, when we get married and have a house, I... then my life will be complete. Sure. But... I mean, I don't believe it now, but... Okay. Um, so, it means that uh, it has a lower escape velocity, which means it would be easier for ships to come and go from the moon's orbit. As you'll recall, I'm sure... Ganymede has its own magnetosphere, which would provide a useful layer of protection for would-be colonists against cosmic radiation, as well as being better shielded from Jupiter's radiation than either Io or Europa. I don't know if it's because you mentioned Magneto from the X-Men earlier, <laughs> but now every time you say the word magnetosphere, you I just hear... His helmet? <laughs> no, I just hear the opening chords from the old X-Men cartoon, like when you say magnetosphere, <laughs> I just hear like... <laughs> <laughs> All told, you would only receive slightly less, but still pretty lethal, 8 rem per day. Liquid water could mean the building blocks for breathable oxygen, rocket fuel, and of course potable drinking water, and further energy sources. The process of terraforming Ganymede would potentially be similar to Europa, nuclear or comet impacts, and render a similar end result, a Jovian water world with floating cities. Finally, we have Callisto, which in many respects could be our best bet for some open-concept moonscaping. Remember that Callisto is the second largest of Jupiter's moons, and also the furthest away of the Big Four. This means that radiation exposure would come in at a paltry 0.01 rem per day. Your daily average exposure on Earth is likely to be 0.067 rem per day. Callisto is also thought to have a subsurface ocean, although scientists reckon it's less likely to host life, and if you've made it this far, you can guess it would involve massive bombardment to heat up surface ice, which would result in an ocean world. Yeah, and when I say massive bombardment, I mean, like, your PE teacher letting you play that one game on, like, off days where the kids just lob dodgeballs at one another. Yeah, uh, Callisto would never, never see it coming and never recover. Well, Callisto's probably the kid that gets pushed out in front of everybody else. Okay, so now we're ready to colonize. But before you get too excited, there might be one or two teeny hurdles to jump. First, Jupiter is very far from us. About 628,411,977 kilometers away, to be precise. Or roughly four times our own distance from the sun. I mean, it does depend on where Earth and Jupiter are in their orbit, right? At uh, some yeah. some points they're closer, but yeah, at its farthest. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> by closer, I mean like 325 million. <laughs> it's not the distance between uh, a several year long trip and like, oh, a week long. <laughs> if we, a weekend away. Yeah. Like if we wait a few days, we'll we'll narrow down our, our travel time considerably. It's still going to take a while to go uh, to Jupiter, even with advances in the type of fuel that we would use to, in order to do that. It took the Voyager probes 18 months and two years respectively to reach Jupiter, but vessels carrying people and people's things are going to take considerably longer. And once you get there, you need even more materials mined from asteroids or Jupiter's smaller moons. This means Further journeys, which in turn means more fuel and more travel time. It's ye old Jupiter Trail. Yes, except with less tuberculosis. Hopefully. Hopefully. How do you get TB again? Is is that the dirty water one? Uh, I don't know. You just get it from being around pioneers. The the dirty water one is... uh, I cholera? Like chlamydia. <laughs> yes, called cholera. <laughs> chlamydia is dirty something. <laughs> it sure is. Dirty, dirty deeds. So, yeah, it's going to take a heck of a long time to go there. And even when you do go there, you, you don't have all your stuff with you. You have to then start Mine. grabbing additional resources from around you. Exactly. Options for said rocket fuel include nuclear thermal propulsion or fusion drive systems, but these are still only in the concept phase. Furthermore, you wouldn't need just one ship, you would need many for hauling materials and for refueling. Fixed refueling stations could hypothetically be placed between here and there, so the moon for example, on Mars, or in larger asteroids such as Ceres, they're all different options. But again, these are elements that don't yet exist. Also, if you were going down the shell world route, i.e. building an actual structure to surround the surface of each moon from radiation and debris, then you can multiply the number of ships and building materials by a thousand. You would also need radiation shielding of some kind uh, on any of the moons bar Callisto, and this is even after a viable atmosphere has been created. And the lack of magnetosphere... means that, like Mars 4.3 billion years ago, any atmosphere that you did create would slowly be stripped away into space. Oh, and all of these ocean worlds would be slightly different to our own, in that their depth would be over 10 to 80 times that of the deepest parts of our oceans. This, of course, means nowhere to anchor your floating cities, and potentially some very gnarly waves think that one scene in Interstellar, those aren't moons, those are waves. Do you know what I'm referring to there? I think mountains or moons. Oh yeah, those are ma- <laughs> those are those are moons. Those aren't mountains, those are waves. Obi-Wan, what are you doing here? <laughs> this isn't your movie. Uh yeah, you've seen that one bit from Interstellar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like, holy shit. And they have to like get back on the ship really fast and they've got the robot that can uh I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen that clip. They've got the robot that looks like a fridge, but also sometimes it's got legs and sometimes it's got arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, hella big waves. You know what the best uh, movie robot is? Marvin? 
Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Uh, my favorite movie, Robot, is um probably the the one from uh, Rogue One. Oh yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, voiced by my favorite actor of all time. Uh, Tudyk, mm-hmm. Al- Alan Tudyk. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a heck of a guy. Sure is. He's a hell of a nice man. Um, God, I hope he's still a hell of a nice man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. In a couple of years, we'll probably find out that he sent some really offensive tweets back in the day or was just horrible to, like, the female cast members of Firefly or, like, whipped his dick out at an intern or just... Just be cool, guys. Yeah. Just be cool. <laughs> Do you, not everyone has to play um, male celebrity bingo, right? You could just, like, not do any of those things and then... His, you won't historically be brought up in those things and then cancelled anytime someone brings you up in conversation. Anyway, back to the terraforming. One final thought. Any effort to terraform these moons would have massively adverse, read deadly, effects on any organisms living there. We don't currently know if there is any primitive life forms clustered around hydrothermal vents beneath the crust of Europa, Caristo, uh, and Ganymede, but if there are then should we really be so quick to wipe them out? I guess you can't have a colony without a little colonization, or at least we're not forcing them to convert religions or giving them weapons to fight one another. Right, Alicia? Well, we don't know that our... Our predecessor? No, no. our... Decessors. Our descendants, <laughs> yeah. Descendants. We don't know that our descendants won't be, like, futuristic hyper-colonists. Mm, or that, you know... Maybe they're just over there, like, arming microbes, sending them out. Yeah, or giving the microbes giving teeny fish. tiny smallpox and in, in infected blankets. Mm-hmm. Giving fish just guns or bayonets. Yes, uh-huh. I mean, we could go all day, couldn't we? So, I, in terms of, like, philosophy, no, I don't think it's right that humans have, like, destroyed their own planet, and they're like... Well, we gotta find somewhere else to live, and it's potential. There's potential for life here, so let's just wipe that out and put our own life here. Yeah, there's there's an argument to be made that all that we're doing is ensuring our own survival, because we are all of the eggs in one basket, and Earth is that basket, and that basket is susceptible to massive volcanic eruptions, asteroid strikes. (laughs) Yes, Boiling itself alive, um, drowning in its own carbon dioxide, all that good stuff. So you've got basically the hard-boiled, the soft-boiled, the poached. I I guess my point is, like, even if we get our act together and we don't wipe ourselves out, that doesn't guarantee our continued survival, because the planet could wipe us out uh, by itself through, like, a massive volcanic eruption or... um, Meteorite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Or some kind of global pandemic for example but Weird. why uh, would you mention that? <laughs> why would you even bring that up so we need to have a plan b of mm. some kind and one of these moons could be a potential viable plan b although really to my mind it's more like a plan d or e or f there's a lot of steps you have to get to before you can get to right so we're sending our ships 
to 600 million kilometers away so that then we can mine some moons so that then we can build a shield around a moon to create the possibility of terraforming that moon. If you haven't watched the YouTube channel, Kurtzkazat uh, mm. in a nutshell, they do a lot of things about um, terraforming different planets. And recently they did one about terraforming Venus. And to my mind, on the, the distance between ourselves and Venus versus the distance between ourselves and uh, Jupiter's, planet, Jupiter's moons alone, Venus is probably like a more viable option. And Venus is like an incredibly hostile environment almost as hostile as Jupiter is. So, you know, like, there are other options out there. But you know, unfortunately, like, if those options were on the table, if we convinced ourselves, well, we have to move to the the moons of Jupiter, then whatever life was in the oceans would not stand a chance. Like, it, it would be one rubber stamp away from being completely wiped off sure there would be like picket lines and like you know like a small amount of people saying you know microbe is life too and oh dude like look at what we look at what we do to like the sentient complex organisms that we already know live on this planet they don't stand in the way of people uh, deforesting to raise cattle what i'm saying is there would be like a very small percentage of people basically like microbiologists scientists yeah astrobiologists um yeah it's sad because think about the potential that that life has we have no idea what alien life could look like we don't even know for sure that life needs oxygen you know who knows what life could look like Mm -hmm. if it was uh cultivated on a completely different environment from our own and Something that I always think about is, like, in terms of alien life, like, who who knows if you even had, like, the possibility of an encounter because it could be operating on, like, the fourth dimension, so you wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, because these oceans that we're talking about, which could harbor life on these moons because they are dozens of kilometers deep, I mean, think about how little we know about our own relatively shallow oceans and the life that exists within them. There, there are some people who are convinced that there's still megalodons swimming about, although that seems pretty, sure, pretty but unlikely. We, we are still discovering species in yeah. our own oceans, which are yeah. minuscule in comparison to these. So I guess what I'm saying is, even on a very, very, very long timeline, where you're, you're somehow, we've somehow reached a point where we could conceivably do this, we have the resources and the planning where we could do something like this, we still wouldn't have scratched the surface of of what exists beneath those unless you like flip the lid and the entire subterranean ocean is full of like domestos bleach and you could be like well i don't i don't think anything's gonna be alive down there yeah and then there's just one guy in the corner with like corporation patches over there pouring bleach into a (laughs) hole he's like "Mm?" what are you doing there sir oh don't worry about it it's natural it's perfectly natural the curse here naturally he's the pool guy I clean, then you can swim. Okay, well, we weren't going to do that, but I clean. And it's like, oh, all right, we're just going to let him finish up. I don't know why he has an accent. He came <laughs> with us. <laughs> he he is an astronaut. He speaks five languages fluently, and, and he uh, he knows quantum physics. I don't know why he's doing this bit. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we jump in with some weird facts? Weird, wild, and wonderful. I don't have one about the Jovian moons, uh, or Jupiter, because... space-related, I think it's fine. Well, uh, I have... Okay, (laughs) as long as it's a fact, (laughs) it's fine. This whole thing has been weird facts. And, and I put them here, so... Uh, but so now the onus is on you, Alicia. I do have a weird fact. I actually pulled from Bill Bryson's The Body, A Guide for Occupants, which I've been reading through recently, <laughs> and just been peppering these facts into conversations. Not even conversations. Before I go to bed, Will's like, so, did you know about your blind spot when you're, like, in your vision? Here, here's how you find it. Like, he doesn't even say anything, actually. Here's what happens is I'm lying in bed and I look over and Will's just, like, scanning his finger back and forth in front of his face. What, trying to find his blind spot. What are you doing there, honey? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, I just read something I was trying. I, so, if, um... Imagine when you're looking up at the sky on a very sunny day, you occasionally see those little white, I don't know what the word you have for them is, but like Trails? those- Trails? Yeah, the, they look kind of like white pixies or white uh, white dust motes that seem to like come out of the brightest spots of the sky. Um, you're not actually seeing anything- in the air, it's not even dust mote circulating around you. What you're seeing is the capillaries in your own eye. So you're, you're seeing blood go through your eyeball. And as light is passing through, it's making it appear as those little white motes. Which is pretty cool, right? Not to be confused. I mean, you do you do get actual dust motes and floaters and things like that. I'm talking about the phenomenon specifically where you're looking directly up at a bright blue sky. And, uh... Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh-huh. Give me your weird fact now. Um, a full NASA spacesuit costs $12 million. Fuck off. <laughs> 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 I mean, I really want one, but that's crazy. Most of the cost is in, like, the, the backpack, like, the oxygen and um the because it's like a brand name it's one of like those real <laughs> like Ford, yeah backpacks <laughs> and it's like i mean this costs like five dollars to make why are you selling it for 120 um but yeah 12, 12 million it's um, crazy it says like the the place that i've got which is like arizona arizona uh arizona state university says the spacesuits that NASA uses were built in 1974. I don't know if they mean, like, the schematics were built in 1974, or if they mean they are still using the original 1974 spacesuits. I mean, you don't you don't just throw those things away. You get your money's worth. <laughs> it's like when you buy a fridge. You're not going to be replacing that every five years. You're going to keep going until the motor runs out. Yeah, until somebody... <laughs> decompresses until somebody dies in space um yes they were built sorry according to insider they were they were built in 1974 and in today's money i guess it's 150 million dollars jeez louise per spacesuit you just imagine reusing them and being like who who peed in this (laughs) spacesuit actually that's what you're supposed to do (laughs) you're supposed to greg what have you been doing I have so many urinary tract infections. 
But at least the suit smells fresh. Anyway, I'm not... a little tree hanging from it. (laughs) I can't see out of my visor because there's so many evergreen trees in the front. Uh, On that delightful note, uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave us a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole, as always, reminding you to... Colonize, colonize, no, don't do that. <laughs> the three C's, colonize, colonize, colonize. Um, just, you know, take some time, if you can, and go outside and look up at the universe. It's pretty yeah. cool. Or just go and Google and check them out, because those moons be pretty sexy. Oh, yeah. There's a reason they're named after Jupiter's lovers. So, <laughs> we're going to go look at that. You guys take care for now, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail, or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening.